0: So what do you do when you're faced with a discussion, a statement, a visual of some kind that you just don't agree with? What do you do when someone has said something somewhere? Maybe it's on the internet, maybe it's on the news, maybe it's someone who's famous, maybe it's someone who really doesn't matter at all in your life, but you still heard what they said. What if you hear them say something and you go, that is the worst thing I've ever heard? What do you do? Usually there's a few different ways that people respond when they're faced with something being said or uh, learning something that they just don't agree with. For some of us, what we would do is we would just completely ignore it. You know, someone down the street yells something at us and we don't like what they say, so we just ignore it. That's not a bad thing, right? You know, we read an article that tells us something that's going wrong in the world and we don't like it, so we ignore it. Maybe that's a little bit worse. You know, for some of us, we when we read something we disagree with, we turn into these internet keyboard warriors where we're we're just typing away about how angry we are about what we heard somebody say, and we do it all anonymously because we don't want anyone to know who we are. Uh, and some of us do that, and then some of us we decide, well, you know what? I am going to go out of my way to make sure that this person who said this thing or did this thing that I disagree with uh, is canceled, is, is no more. Like, let's do whatever we can to make sure that they never have the opportunity to say something and be heard ever again. Maybe those aren't ways that you respond to something you don't like, but this some of the ways that people do respond to hearing something you don't like. I'm not sure how you do it. I'm not sure what you do. There, there are many other ways, I'm sure. And sometimes it honestly doesn't matter. You know, it might be something very insignificant, like you might say the Senators are a good hockey team, and I might say, no, they're not, and so I just have to tune you out. Uh, or you might say, well, I don't really care about the Canadians winning any more than, you know, any other team, and I will say, you're wrong, and I'll tune you out. But sometimes there are important things that are said, or we learn, and we really have to wrestle with when we don't agree with them. So what do you do? In particular, what do you do when you read something in the Bible that challenges what you think is Right? What do you do? Well, some of us, we ignore it. We just go, I don't like that. Let's just not read that book or read that author or or just, you know, let's even just rip it out. It's happened in history. Some of you might get so angry, you'll say, well, I'm going to revolt against this and I'll make sure no one ever reads this again, so maybe you will protest the Bible. It happens. Some of you will, will just... Uh, get online and tell everybody how they shouldn't read this and people have been reading it wrong forever and get angry. But are those always the best ways to do it? I don't think so. But I know some of us do that. I know some of us, maybe a little more subtly, will do that. And I know this because I've had conversations with some of you about it. Many of you struggle when you encounter something in the Bible that goes against what you believe is culturally right right now. And so you struggle with it. Some of you struggle to the point where you just go, I'm just going to ignore it. I don't believe it. That was then. This is now. And some of you struggle to you're like, I want to figure out why this is there. To me, that's the best route to go. When you encounter something in the Bible that is challenging to you, you should try and figure out what it actually means. One of the things I've been saying in this series called The Bible is that we need to understand that the Bible is written for our use, but it's not written to us. And what I mean by that is that there is an original audience that every part of the Bible was intended for. The Gospel of Matthew was intended for an early first century Jewish community to inform them that Jesus is the Messiah. The letter of the first Corinthians was written by Paul to a church in Corinth. All of these writings have a time, a place, and a people in mind. And we're not it. So it's for our use. We can use these words because they are for our instruction and for our life, and they are life-giving. But if we don't understand what it meant to the original audience, we're never really going to understand what it means to us. And what it means to us should never mean something that it never meant for that original audience. And so we need to take the time to understand. This is a work that's called hermeneutics. It's understanding what the scriptures mean in context and time, and getting to the deep, deep roots of it. Why did Paul write these letters? That's what we're going to talk about today. Because I know for some of us, and I've had these conversations with you, you'll say things like, I really like to read the Gospels because Jesus is really loving, but then I read Paul and he's a jerk. In fact, he's more than a jerk. He he hates women. He is repressive. He is nothing like Jesus. Well, I have to tell you, you are wrong. The Apostle Paul is anything but those things. He is incredibly loving and caring, and he deeply wants his original audience to understand who this Jesus is and what it means to follow him. And we have the privilege of reading it today And understanding what it meant then and learning how to apply it now. And so I want to, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at a particular topic that the apostle Paul writes about a few times. I'm going to look at two particular verses and look at how maybe in the history of the church and not the whole history of the church because the church is 2000 years old and there's been a lot of change in beliefs, but in the present history of the church to some of the things that get taught and said are actually not what Paul intended. And that topic is women. The apostle Paul has a reputation of being a chauvinist. People in our world uh, especially since the feminist movement and equal rights movements kind of came in, have often said that Paul is repressive to women and that he's teaching, you know, men that they should be in complete authority and women just need to be submissive and they can't talk, which we're going to talk about today, and all these things. And unfortunately, some churches believe that. Some churches hold to this idea that women should not be preaching like I am. Some churches hold to this idea that women actually can't do anything in leadership. Some churches even hold to women have to stay separate than the men in the church and actually wear head coverings. There's a lot of traditions that people have held to that might not actually be Paul's point. As I've said before, when it comes to reading the Bible, we need to understand when is it descriptive, saying what's going on, and when is it prescriptive, what you should do. And then the hard part with the prescriptive part is you also have to figure out, is this a timely prescription? Like, is this for this time that they were writing to? Or is it a timeless prescription, like still for today? Because there are some of both. What I find the most helpful is to try and understand what it meant in a timely sense to their audience and see what is timeless out of it. So we're going to look at two passages in Scripture where Paul gets a bad reputation. Uh, You might be familiar with them. So we're going to jump in to 1st Timothy chapter 2. Because Paul is trying to teach Timothy how to lead churches. And so there are some things in this letter that we've made timeless. So it talks about instructions on who should be leaders, things like that, and some of those things we made timeless. And some of the things that we've made timeless in here, we might have misunderstood. And I'm going to say that what we say about women in this passage, we've misunderstood. But let's just jump in and see what Paul has to say. First Timothy chapter 2, starting at verse 8. Therefore, I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands, without anger or disputing. So Paul's giving instruction to men here. We're going to get to women in just a second. And he's saying, I, I want men to be praying, and I want them to be uh, using their hands to worship and not for fistfights. Because that seems to be what was going on. There were arguments going on in this church, and it was not good. It was not healthy. And Paul's saying, no, actually what you need to do is spend your time praying more, arguing less. And so he says, I want the men everywhere, all the men, to just be praying and lifting up their hands without anger or dispute. That's not healthy. I also want the women to dress modestly with decency and propriety, adorning themselves not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. Whew. Let's take a breather. I know you might say, Rob, that you think we're jumping to conclusions, but it sounds pretty repressive. Um, and I, and I can hear that. Like when you read these, these black letters on a white page, it sounds pretty repressive. Let's keep going. Cause maybe it gets better. It says a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. getting better, isn't it? For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But woman will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. There's been a history in the church where this passage, and it's not a very far away history. It's pretty recent history. This passage was used to uh, teach young women in particular about how they should dress and how they should behave, and it's caused a lot of damage. We, We call this the purity culture. Now, there might have been some wisdom in some of those things, but because of the damage it caused, and it became a very legalistic thing, we lost the opportunity to actually learn something from it, from this passage. And some of you, as you hear this, as you read this, you, you might even be saying, you know what, in the 1960s, I was fighting this very thing. I had to fight for my job as a woman. I had to fight to be able to wear pants and not a skirt. I had to fight, I had to fight, I had to fight. You're saying, Paul was repressive like the patriarchy always has been. I can understand how people jump to that conclusion, but it's not true. That's actually not what Paul's doing at all. There are different interpretations of this for sure, and some people will hold kind of just a literal interpretation in the sense that what it says on the paper is exactly it. Women be quiet. Women, you know, don't dress fancy, don't braid your hair, uh, women, you know, full submission, all these things. People have. But I don't think that's right. In fact, I think what we need to do is understand what is Paul talking about in this whole letter and what was going on in the time that he wrote it. The Apostle Paul is instructing Timothy, like I said, on how to lead churches. Why? Because the church that he's speaking about, the church in Ephesus, is a mess. There's all kinds of infighting. There's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. There are false teachers. There's worship of wrong gods. There's all kinds of things happening, and Paul wants it fixed. Why? Because Jesus is so much better than all the nonsense that was going on. And he wants those people to know it because he loves them. And so Paul writes to Timothy and says, this is how you need to lead. This is what you need to do. This is how you're going to right this wrong. So in this passage, we should be asking the question, what is the wrong that Paul is trying to correct? Well, at the time of this writing, and so it's somewhere in the mid first century, around 50, 53 AD, somewhere around there, Uh, Paul is writing into this place, Ephesus, to this person, Timothy, at that time. And at that time, one of the things that was happening was very common for women to be part of the uh, Artemis cult. They worshipped the goddess Artemis. Artemis was considered to be the mother of all humankind. And she was also considered to be the god of the hunt and different things. But she was worshipped in Ephesus, and the way she was worshipped was primarily by women. It was it was a very uh, woman-centric sort of worship. And one of the things that the women did to identify as worshippers of Artemis is they would adorn their hair in a certain style so that people would know they worshipped Artemis. There would be braiding and gold and adornment in that way. The other thing that would happen is that young women, young girls, would be kind of raised into this, this uh, worship cult of Artemis, and they would have uh, times of, of talking over each other and praying over each other. Uh, not praying over each other in the sense that, like, hey, I'm praying for you, but as in they're all just talking out loud all the time and and just expecting to learn what Artemis had for them. So Paul is writing this letter into this first-century world, around 50, 53 AD, to this man, Timothy, who's charged to leave this, lead this church in Ephesus, where in this church in Ephesus there are these women who don't know any better because they were raised to worship Artemis, who wear their hair in braids to show that they're still worshiping Artemis, and act like they did when they worshiped Artemis, talking over everybody all the time. So Paul says, that's not right. What you were doing in your worship was not worshiping God when you were worshiping Artemis. And so that has to go. That's what Paul's writing into. He's writing into a cultural moment where people were behaving, particularly women, were behaving in such a way that was not the way of God. And so he says, instead of wearing your hair like that, so that people know you worship Artemis, why don't you, behave by doing good deeds so people know you worship our God. So instead of looking like you worship that God, why don't you act like you worship our God? And instead of talking over the men in the assembly, why don't you listen and learn? Because in the Jewish world, it was very uncommon for women to be learners. Uh, up to a certain age, they would get some exposure to the Torah, the law, so they would know how to be good uh, followers of Yahweh. But at a certain point, they were cut off, and it was just men who were educated. And so a lot of Jesus followers adopted that way and said, well, m- women don't come into the teaching because uh, we follow the Jewish way, so it's for the men. But Paul actually says, no, actually, we need to let women come in and learn in quiet. They need the opportunity, where not everybody's shouting over each other, but to actually learn who God is and what this is all about. He's actually elevating their opportunity out of a tradition that lowered them. And you might go, okay, well, Rob, some of that stuff is interesting. You know, Maybe it's true. Maybe it's not. Where'd you get it from? Well, there's a... <clears throat> There's a book called uh, Wealth in Ancient Ephesus and the First Letter to Timothy that deals a lot with this by uh, Gary Hogue. Uh, it was his doctoral dis- dissertation that talks about this. There are also other people in different commentaries that I've read that have talked about this uh, based on a document that was found. It was actually a fictional story that kind of tells a little bit about what the worship of Ephesus was in the first century. And so they started to understand a picture of what the world looked like at that time. And so when you start to understand what that world looked like, and then you start reading Paul, you go, hey, there's some things here that are connecting. Like the way the women dress is about worshiping another god. Don't do that. Instead, let your beauty be your acts of worship by serving and loving others. There were women who would shout over each other and think they were learning about God. Don't do that. In fact, have the opportunity to sit quietly and learn and hear scripture. Give them an opportunity. And you go, okay, well, some of that's good, but there's some other stuff in this passage, right? So he also says things like women shouldn't assume authority over a man. Authority. So women can't be leaders. Is that what Paul's saying? Well, that's an interesting question. So there's there's an interesting reality about that word that Paul uses for authority. And maybe authority isn't the best translation, Usually when Paul is writing and he wants to say authority, he uses the word exousia over and over again. Exousia, the authority of Christ, the authority of the church. Exousia, his authority. But here, here he uses the word authentine or uh, authentian. or I'm not very good at this. It's the only time he uses it. Only time. And so, what do you do when it's the only time he uses it? In fact, it's the only time in Scripture. How do you understand it? And yeah, it has something like authority in there, but is that really what it is? Actually, there's two different ways of looking at it. There's one uh, school of thought that would say that actually what the word means is like a misuse of authority, meaning like you are uh, using your power over someone. And we would all say that's wrong, whether it's men or women. We shouldn't do that. You shouldn't abuse power. And there's another way of thinking that some people hold to around this is that word actually might mean, uh, not necessarily like authority in that sense, but origin. That, you know, he's, the women are saying that we are, uh, over men because we were created first because Artemis is the creator. So again, goes back into their worship of another God. And Paul is saying, no, that's not right. So it could be either of those. And to me, either of those are possible. Either they shouldn't be abusing power, or they shouldn't be worshiping another god. What it's not saying, though, is that women should never speak or be leaders. How do I know that? There are women who are leaders in the early church all over the place. There is Junia, who's mentioned at the end of Romans. Phoebe, who is in Romans. Priscilla, Lydia, who is the merchant of uh, purple cloth, who's a house church leader, they're all over. Paul knew them. Paul welcomed them. Junia was called an apostle. Why would Paul say, hey, these women are awesome and they're leaders, and then here say, you know what, we shouldn't do that. Either he's double-minded or one of them is inaccurate in how we understand it. And I believe we've inaccurately understood this text in First Timothy 2. You say, okay, 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 Rob, okay. Maybe this authority thing. Maybe we got to loosen up on that too. But what about this whole thing about Adam and Eve and childbirth, right? That's, does that mean that women should just stay home and be mothers? I mean, if they want to, sure. And I think dads should be stay-at-home dads if they want to. I think there's value in, in parents being with their kids. But I don't think that's what it's saying either. Because we have an understanding culturally of something different going on. When it speaks of Adam and Eve, what could be happening there is it could be, again, that Paul is trying to do this correction, that if Artemis, the woman, is the mother of all humankind, that they would say that, you know, we all come from women, though actually Paul in 1 Corinthians says, you know, we came from Adam, but men come from women, and so it doesn't really matter. Uh, He might be trying to correct this misunderstanding that we came from Artemis. So it could be that. It could be that. And then the issue of the childbearing is an interesting one. One of the things that worshipers of Artemis believed culturally, and this was kind of the standard that was like in Ephesus at the time from our understanding, is that if they were bad worshipers of Artemis, because she was the mother of all human life, they would die in childbirth. If they were not appropriately faithful to Artemis, they would suffer and die in childbirth. So they had these women who wore their hair in a certain way to show that they were worshiping this goddess, who spoke over each other, thinking they were learning about this goddess in worship, and who had this belief that if they didn't worship this goddess properly, when they went to have a child, they would die. So Paul is speaking into this compassionately, lovingly, and saying, I'm sorry, ladies, you're wrong. Stop look trying to look like you worship this goddess. Instead, demonstrate your love for God and how you love people. Stop pretending like you know about God by yelling over each other and, and trying to act in this way. And instead, quietly listen. Have the opportunity that women for centuries didn't have at this point instead of either lording authority over men because the the empress uh Artemis cult would would have that kind of idea or because uh pretending or thinking that you know women were the originators of life uh recognize that there's a story in scripture that says uh God created Adam and Eve and Adam was first but again Paul's also going to say in 1 Corinthians you know uh, Adam came first and then Eve but you know every man is born from a woman He's really saying that doesn't matter. Instead of thinking that you're going to die in childbirth because you don't worship correctly, because you have not been faithful enough, realize you'll just be that through childbirth you are saved. You are continuing in salvation. Not that you have to have kids to be saved, but that you are continuing in the salvation you have if you continue in your faith, love, and holiness in the way you live. What Paul is saying to women, well, what Paul is saying to Timothy to tell women isn't that they're second-class citizens. It isn't that they shouldn't be leaders. It isn't that you know, they, they need to have babies and, and be quiet and not dress nice. What he's saying is stop worshiping wrong gods. Stop living like you worship those wrong gods. Start realizing the God you should worship. So be quiet and listen. In fact, I think that Paul would say that to men as well. If men, and he does in other parts of Scripture, when people are not orderly in understanding Scripture together corporately in worship, he says, don't do that. That's wrong. You've got to be orderly. You've got to take this seriously. In the same way that if you came here on a Sunday morning when we actually have people present and somebody started yelling and somebody started yelling at the other side of it and you were just trying to listen, you'd be like, what's going on? This doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter if they're men or women or children. They just need to stop. We came here for a different reason. So when Paul is speaking into this cultural moment, to this person timothy on how to deal with this first century place ephesus and the culture they're in and what it means to be a church he is not saying women don't matter he's actually saying women should take the time to learn so they can lead because they do it in other places over and over again some of us this might be hard to hear because we've been taught that that's not what it says. I want to encourage you to find out for yourself. If you don't believe me, that's fine, but actually research it, actually do some looking, read some commentaries, read, watch a few videos, but don't just watch the people that agree with you. That's too easy. Challenge yourself. So that's one of the passages I want to look at. I want to look at another passage in first Corinthians chapter 14. This is another one of those passages where women need to just be quiet. And while Some of us might be saying, well, that doesn't sound too bad sometimes, like when we're watching a movie. That's not the point. That's not what it's about. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Paul is writing this letter to this church that is a mess. We, years ago, did a half year exploring this book of the Bible called What's Wrong with the Church, because that's what Paul is saying. He's saying these are the things that are wrong with this church, and we need to fix it. And so Paul is writing to them and trying to get them to fix it. And there's something really interesting that happens in this book. Sometimes you will notice it in your English translation and sometimes you won't. Because sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not so obvious. That what Paul is doing is responding to questions they've written him about or statements they've made and he wants to correct. Over and over again, that's what Paul's doing. He wants them to get it straight. They are a wealthy group of people who think they know everything and take advantage of people and are, are just leading lives that don't reflect Jesus. So he wants them to fix that, get it straight, be the church. Because so much is hanging on the church, being the church, so the world can know Jesus. So he writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in church. Or did the Word of God originate with you? Or are you the only people it has reached? If anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the Spirit... Let them acknowledge that what I am writing to you is the Lord's command. But if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. Brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. This passage of Scripture again, has inspired people to suppress women, to say women can't lead, women can't speak in church, women can't preach. You know, maybe they can teach children, but they can never teach men. And that is wrong. It's just wrong. Women are just as gifted as men. Men are just as gifted as women. In fact, Paul will later on say in one of his letters that there are no more male or female. We're all just one in Christ. It doesn't matter. Those distinctions that we held to didn't don't matter. So what is Paul saying here then? What is he really pointing to? Well, one of the problems with this passage is it's written in the same letter where Paul actually writes a significant amount about how women need to behave when they're prophesying and what they need to be like. He says, I praise you for remembering me in chapter eleven, in everything and for holding to the traditions that I have just that I just as I have passed them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of every woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with their head covered dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies, every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, is the same as having her head shaved. So some of us will look at this again. It's like "Eh, he really seems like he's repressing women again. Culturally, it was shameful for a woman to shave her head. Uh, women who had shaved heads often would be associated with the sex trade or slavery. And so a woman in that day, today, most people don't care, but in that day, it would be considered shameful to shave their head. And so Paul says, you know, if you go in here and you don't, you know, properly attire because there are cultural expectations, it'll be just as shameful. He's speaking into the culture of the time, but what he says, and I want you to pick on this more than that whole thing about head coverings, what he says is that when a woman prays or prophesies, so he's saying that in this church, women are prophesying and he's not telling them to stop here. He's actually saying when, as it's going to happen again. So then what do we do with chapter 14? When he says these things like women need to be silent, how can they be silent if they're in the assembly and they're supposed to be prophesying? Or how can they prophesy if they're supposed to be silent? It doesn't make sense. Well, a good chance why it doesn't make sense is because that's not what it says. And in fact, what it likely is happening here is Paul is responding to a statement that the Corinthian men who wrote him said. And what they wrote him and said, and this happens in various parts of this letter. Sometimes it's obvious, so we have it in quotation marks. We need to understand that In the original manuscripts, there were there was no punctuation. So, as best as we could, when we translate, we're interpreting and saying, "Okay, well, punctuation here. This is a question. This is an apostrophe. Whatever." It's it's as best as we could. But to that original audience, they would have understood because they would have written a letter to Paul, and they would see as they are reading Paul's letter to them that he's quoting them. He's saying the exact same things he wrote. They wrote to him. And what I believe they wrote to him was this. Women should remain silent in the churches. They are not allowed to speak, but must be in submission, as the law says. If they want to inquire about something, they should ask their own husbands at home, for it is disgraceful for a woman to speak in the church. This is their statement. They don't want women talking, period. They don't want them there because they like the power, maybe. Because they're worried that maybe they'll say something that disagrees with how they're taking advantage of each other. Paul had earlier said women are prophesying or they should be prophesying, but they should do it in some kind of orderly fashion. Why would he say stop doing it now? Because they are saying stop doing it. They are saying they don't want this to happen. So how does Paul respond? Or did the word of God originate with you? Are you the only people it has reached? Are you the only people who can speak scripture? Are you the only people who can talk for God? no stop it that's what paul's saying he's saying no stop repressing these women they have as much to say as you if anyone thinks they are a prophet or otherwise gifted by the spirit let them acknowledge that what i am writing to you is the lord's command And if anyone ignores this, they will themselves be ignored. If you don't let women talk, he's saying, if you don't let women speak who are genuinely speaking for God, like you say you're genuinely speaking for God, then you need to get out. Paul is not repressing women. He's elevating them. People have misunderstood this. The earliest followers of Jesus included women. Were they named in the gospels? Yes, they were. There was three Marys, one of them Jesus' mom. Actually, I think four. You know, And in fact, it was the women who saw the resurrected Jesus and told everybody. And it was the women who stayed with Jesus as he died, when the men scattered. Women are elevated throughout Scripture and given places of authority and opportunities to teach and speak. But somewhere down the line, we twisted it and didn't understand what was really going on. Unless we get back to the context of what it means to them, we can't say what it means to us. We are doing a disservice to us, to God, and to Scripture. In fact, we're just hurting people in the process. The Apostle Paul was not a woman hater. The Apostle Paul was not a chauvinist. In fact, he was incredibly loving and caring and elevated women to a status and place they regularly did not have in their culture. He was the exact opposite as how many of you have thought of him. So what do you do when you read the Apostle Paul? Well, what you should do is when you read something you disagree with, or you read something that maybe irks you a little, is you should go, what does that mean? What does that mean to that first audience? And once you figure out what that means to them, what does that mean for me? Maybe there are principles there that are timeless, or maybe there's just a statement that was very timely, and it was just for them. We need to be careful not to just excuse things and say, well, it was then, this is now, because there's stuff we can learn there. Like we can learn that we should not worship other gods like those women in Ephesus did, and come into church pretending like we know what we're talking about about God when we actually don't know anything. And we should learn that we should allow women to speak in church as Paul is actually teaching in these statements. Those are timeless. The timely portion is maybe how they're addressing because they're dealing with specific things. And maybe we don't need to hold on to those things. We need to do a lot of discernment in this. Scripture was not written for us. Scripture was not written to us, but it's for our use. And we have access to God, the Holy Spirit, who has inspired people through centuries to write Scripture, the story of God and His people, the reminder of the relationship we have with Him, other people, and His creation. So when we read the Apostle Paul or we read anything in the New Testament or even Old Testament, we need to first understand what it meant to the audience they were writing to. And until we do that, do not draw conclusions and do not decide what they're saying, but let them speak in their original context in their audience at their time. I want you to try to apply this. I want to encourage you, and I won't give you a hard one. I want to encourage you to read Philippians. Philippians is short. It's actually quite encouraging, but read it. But before you read it, even just look up Wikipedia on Philippians and find out what was the context that was going on. What was Paul writing into? What was it all about? And don't isolate verses saying, hey, I like this, you know, this whole like, you know, I can do all things through Christ so I can win an NBA championship kind of verses. Find out what they mean in the context. What's going on that Paul is saying this? Why would he say this? What does it mean? What is all things? What is that? Take the time to understand what he was writing about and why he was writing it. Because truly, truly, when we do that, when we allow Scripture to speak what it's always meant to say, we can be forever changed in the most amazing ways by the Holy Spirit, and it is a gift from God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you have inspired people like the Apostle Paul thousands of years ago to speak into moments to help that original audience to know what it means to follow you, to be followers of Jesus, to live a life that reflects it. And it was so different than the culture they were in that they had to be challenged and they had to be told what was wrong and what was right. God, help us to learn from that. Help us to learn where it's appropriate, those things that might be timeless that we need to hold on to and say, this doesn't change. And help us to discern what is timely. And we say, okay, that was for that time, but what can I take out of it for now? Remind us that this wasn't written to us, but is for our use, Holy Spirit. We need you to guide us. You help us know and understand these words that you inspired to write. And we need that more than ever in this world, where there are so many people saying so many different things about this very document. And some of them are completely baseless. We need to know what's true so that we can truly follow you, Jesus. We pray that you help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.